Happy birthday again. Did you guys do anything good? We're going to just kind of shift my birthday yeah. celebration to the weekend. To a more opportune year. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it was canceled on a lack of <laughs> lack of interest. <laughs> People don't care about me. And um, And then we just got a starting... I think it's like midnight tonight or something like that through sometime on Sunday, we have another winter storm warning. Oh, okay. And this one's supposedly more snow than Mm. the last one, Mm. which is funny that it's like you walk around the neighborhood. And so we are on the sunny side of the neighborhood. Okay. And weirdly enough, I think I might be like the highest and I'm using that term loosely elevation in our neighborhood. Mm hmm. And the front yard is facing south, so mm. if we get anything above freezing, my snow's gone. Yeah, everybody else in the neighborhood still have snow. Mm-mm. My yard completely clean of snow. You're not complaining about that, though. I assume. No, I mean, you know, I don't have to go and scrape it off the other cars that are parked in the street. Mm-hmm. I'll completely melt it off, and the two that we actually use. It's so funny. It's like I don't know about you, but you know, like we've got our two old cars that we just kept around because we were assuming the boys want to use them and they really haven't. And so they really have had like no use over the course of the year. Mm -hmm. Both of their batteries are dead. Oh, Uh and so I'm sure like, you know, they haven't been turned over in a while and kind of sucks. Yeah. I just kind of cycle through the cars when I have to go do something and, uh, just to keep the, (laughs) keep them lubed up. Exactly. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, I'm probably going to donate one. We've donated old cars in the past, and I've already found out that I'm not going to get much out of the Saturn. Mm. So I'm going to probably donate that. I'm selling cars right now, too. I mean, we're just not using them, and I want to do something different. So it is a lot of work to sell them, but you can get a little more cash out of it. So I'm going to keep the Avalon. It does need some service, and I know what it is and everything else and i'm gonna rather than me doing it myself which some of it i can do but then there's like a broken motor mount a couple of other things i'm like mm-hmm, you know what mm-hmm. it's six it's 600 bucks i'll go ahead and have them do it because it'll be a lot easier and it, it'll be warrantied yeah of all of the things that i've done on vehicles all of the engine work that i've ever done i've never pulled the engine so i've never had to deal with an, a motor mount mm-hmm. and i really don't want to <laughs> I totally you know, get there's, it. It, there's, I, I found that there comes an age that, you know, if this is, if this was like my day to day job, sure. But, you know, I was shade tree mechanic and I think it's time for me to hang up my ranches. <laughs> even, even though, even okay. on my brand new vehicle, I did just switch out like temperature sensor and oh, things like that. that was <laughs> so that's a good story. Yeah. And that made you rethink, why do I do this? <laughs> <laughs> why do i torture yeah. myself <laughs> there are other people with better tools and better ways of like doing this and you're sure they're gonna actually i know why you know i do these things because they're like well mr phelan it'll cost you six hundred dollars i'm yeah. like wait for a 15 dollar part right what yep so uh well you're for a that. simpler time when cars know, weren't right? uh, when when they were actually room in the engine bays to do work and certain things yeah. cost a lot less yes. money. 
Oh yeah. Yeah. Funny enough when I was, when I was, I was talking to the the guys on the team that are, you know, kind of like still left. I mean, we were told you we've been trickling down right. our, our people. And so the people who are left, they were like, I can't believe that we've got 1,192 sheets. Mm-hmm. And so we started pulling up like, you know, like, I don't know if you've got, I, I've got a, like a whole handful of like older like projects from firms that I used to work for that I never worked on. They were like, you know, 1920s and stuff like that. But they're like 13 sheets for like almost comparable size projects. Yeah, right. And you're like, how the hell did they get away with it? You know, and I was telling them, I'm like, well, you know, if you think about it, I mean, back then they were the site superintendent, the architect was, you know, so they could basically give you like design intent drawings because they're going to be working you know, they're going to be on site helping direct the work. They, there's a good symbiotic relationship between contractor and architect that just doesn't exist anymore. Now it's a very confrontational kind of, every, everybody is trying to like protect their own. And so it's... Especially in design, bid, build, delivery. Oh, method. Yeah, yeah. E- exactly. Yeah. So in like they were, they were pulling up, you know, stuff. So like, how do, how do we get stuff like this built? And they were pulling up like a, he had documents from this historic high school in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. One, it was enormous. Two, it was beautifully detailed. You know, they're like, how, how the hell do they get away with, you know, 15 sheets? And you're like, I mean, one, a lot of repetition. And two, you know, it was just the conversation between the, the architect and the contractor. I mean, they weren't, they, they weren't putting in a basis of design and then approved equals. Yeah, they were, yeah. you know, they were saying, okay, this is what I want. This is what I want. This is what I want. And they'd go out and get it. Yeah. And they I, knew how to put it in. I was on a, a YouTube thing yesterday with Jeff Eccles and Catherine McPhail for Context and Clarity Live. It's like a weekly show um, mm-hmm. run out of Gable Media and it's live streamed to YouTube and Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitch and all the places. Um, so we had a bunch of people kind of watching and, and chatting, asking questions from various locations. And it's all kind of coming into this one funnel where we, where we were. So we could respond to questions and kind of keep the conversation going. And one of the one of the topics that came up, I guess, you know, it, it, we started to talk about what does the next person in the line need, right? So, mm-hmm. um, and we can put a link to the video in the show notes. But it was, you know, it, we were kind of talking about it from a technology standpoint and how I was just kind of pointing out, and I'm sure we've talked about it on here before, is that the BIM model is is... It's not the deliverable, right? And and so right. it's a means to the drawings. And because the agency expects drawings or maybe just PDFs nowadays, same interchangeable, right? Mm-hmm. And, but it's not necessarily what the contractor needs, especially during design bid build. It's like these drawings are to get the permit and to CYA and to you know check all the boxes of kind of what's expected in design bid build delivery process. And instead, we started to talk about, uh, you know, being a trusted piece of the puzzle and how how do you put into a model what a contractor needs to see? Because those are different things, right? You're you're designing this building for agency approval versus designing it for a contractor to to be the most useful. Because how many times have we designed something or detailed something and then they never even look at it, right? Right, And it's because the agency needs to see that stuff. They want to check the anchors. They want to see the test reports. They want to see like all this stuff that says that the, that it's going to hold up during whatever, you know, event. Right. Right. um, Because it's public work. 
uh, and so it, it is pretty interesting. You know, you you started off by talking about this kind of low trust environment, and that is pretty much what IPD is supposed to solve, right? Or that was the attempt was to say we all have a piece of this, and we're all we all have skin in the game throughout the process, and try to. Um, solve a lot of these problems before they ever become problems on th- mm-hmm. when it when it costs a lot more to solve them say it that way right right um, yeah so instead of doing clash detection we do clash avoidance you know by calling it a different name it kind of changes the mindset around why you're doing it up front um and and you're working through a lot of those issues in 3d to a higher level of detail and which is interesting to think about because that's kind of i mean if you kind of boil it down it's design build right like you're doing right. Right. just what is necessary to get the thing built. And it reminds me of when I was doing design build with my partner and we would do the absolute minimum drawings to get the agency approval because we knew we were going to be figuring stuff out along the way. And so our drawing sets could be a lot lighter and they just had to meet the requirements. Beyond that, we would do the the daily basically of here's the problems we're going to solve today. Here's what we're going to build today. How are we going to achieve that together? And Granted, mm-hmm. like we were doing it ourselves, so we were designing and building, and we weren't working with another entity to fulfill the building part of it. But it still kind of points at that, you know, back to that traditional way of working where you're talking about where it was figured out enough to get the design intent across or to get that permit because it kind of checked the way more limited amount of boxes than there are nowadays. Um, and then they worked through those issues in the field together because they were on the same team, more or less. So let's kind of use an example today of a conversation that I had that is this clash avoidance, um, CYA and stuff. Mm -hmm. So we were looking through the details and, you know, we're trying to do our final cleanup for the bid set. It's already gone out for permit. And we noticed that we had a, a variance in the roof detail that was different from the manufacturer that we were using as our base of design. And then we drew a couple of different sections that had that roof assembly in there. There was enough that was different about it that was, you know, that were they were off. And we're mm-hmm. like, wait, why are, what's going on? And so, you know, we had this conversation today. We had a nice little open Zoom call and we started talking about it. And one of the, the senior guys, he's a building envelope specialist. He was like, well, you know, you need to do like this and this. And I'm like, well, hold on a minute. And I pulled up. I was like, let me share these details. And I'm like, so this is the basis of design standard manufacturing details. And so they're like, well, why aren't we following those? I'm like, well, that's the question. But I was like, you know, and and they were in color and you could see the difference between like the waterproofing membrane that, you know, went directly above the concrete decking and then all of the different stacking and stuff. And so there was two of the different details basically had the, the waterproofing membrane kind of inverted into two different locations. And it was like, no, no, no. It, it needs to be here and it needs to follow this because we're using that. And so I started going off on this tangent that you and I've talked about often. It's like, why are we redrawing their details that they've spent a lot of time and money design and research on doing those drawings? They've spent just a boatload of cash on testing this stuff. So we know that it meets the ASTM requirements that we need for it. Well, why are we going off and doing something else? And it's because of this philosophy of, well, you know, we don't want to sole source something. 
oh, sure, we don't want to, but we are doing a base of design and our specification says approved equals. And if we do approved equals, we can use the base of design details straight out their damn catalog, right. plop them into our drawings. Right. And as long as they meet and, you know, meet that criteria of exactly what we're doing, why are we redrawing them? And they're like, well, that's a good question. Because we love reinventing the wheel. Exactly. <laughs> we love it. Exactly. We can't justify spending time to create templates and standards that all of our jobs run off. We'd rather do that every time. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and somehow and so, we can justify that. Yeah. And, and so it's it's this, you said it best about like the, well, maybe maybe it's just this kind of like mashup of, of everything. It's where the reason that we don't use that one is because we don't want to be caught out as soul sourcing and in, in doing some thing. Something but, proprietary. You know, it's, it's, not, yeah. it's not really up to us to determine whether or not they're going to use that detail because we can draw a detail all the hell we want to. Yeah. When and they if substitute, the it's comes, going to be Exactly. Different. When they come back with a substitute request, it will be completely different. So why bother? And you're going to have to figure why it out bother? then again. Exactly. Yeah. Or we're going to have to sit there. Okay, here's the detail they gave us. Here's the detail that we drew. What is the same? What is different? What is, you know, right? What is wrong? Different and, and materials do. Like, yeah. It's a different assembly. It's going to have to be like, a different detail. Yeah. Right. So, so why do we bother? Mm-hmm. Why do we bother going through the effort of spending so much time? Now, let it's me complicated, that, right? Because they're going to come, insurance is going to come back when you get sued and look at that yeah. original detail. And if there's not enough information in there about the waterproofing, then you're going to get sued for that. I, mm-hmm. It totally makes sense, right? <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, yet it doesn't. A, there's an ongoing issue that we have on a detail that we drew for an all glass storefront system mm-hmm. with glass sliders. And we designed it one way based off of the manufacturer's materials. And basically, we followed their exact details. We didn't want to redraw it. And, mm-hmm. and so we, we basically just took their details that they provided us based off of our constraints that we had. And they developed some details for us and we use them. Mm-hmm. And then there was a submittal and the submittal was different from the details. Mm-hmm. And then what was installed was different from the submittal. Of course. Now the, the submittal never had a substitution request. So then what was How to get installed? Approved. Who approved it? <laughs> I'm, that's a longer conversation. Yeah, totally. About different liabilities yeah, and, having, <laughs> and having local architects versus, you know, design architects and, mm-hmm. and everything else. And so, but, and, and so now, you know, the, the system keeps failing, you know, the, the door hardware is not the right hardware for this particular, you know, gla- glazing system, the, the roller tracks and everything else, there's acoustic properties that weren't followed. There's all sorts of different problems that we have with it. And, and so it's, you, you come back and you say, well, who's at fault? Who's at fault? Because the, what we designed what and then even if they would have followed what we approved, it would have been better than what was installed. And so the question is, is well, why did they change what we even approved? Now, what what they what we approved probably was a little bit more deficient than what we designed. But it, again, it was still a system that at least met most of the minimum criteria of what was designed. So, mm. so you're just like you know, what I mean, cluster, yeah. So even when you go through this effort of drawing, I guess to bring it home, it was like even when you go through this effort of trying to draw something, when somebody can see a way to save a buck or something like that on a project, you kind of get caught out with 
okay, you know, you, you changed everything. And, and, and if they, I don't want to say too much because it's, yeah. it's an ongoing problem, but it is just a problem that when you go through all of this effort and then they decide to do something differently, you basically say, why bother? And I guess that's kind of like the whole point of what, Chicken where I was going. Yeah, totally. Like, why bother going through all of this effort? If you're going to say, I'm going to use a basis of design and you can take that basis of design, you can overlay it onto your specific condition, but you're not really changing anything from that. Why go any further than that? Mm-hmm. Or if you're going to do a typical detail, well, then do a typical detail off of your typical manufacturer. Yeah. And I am absolutely doing an air quote right now. Yeah, right. <laughs> because... You know, it was just, it's, and it's just completely frustrating because, you know, then you get into this point, it's just like, okay, who's to blame when something goes wrong? Mm-hmm. And and then it goes back to what you and I were talking about is the CYA and the, which just goes back to the 13 drawings where we could easily control it by just standing there and they say, okay, Mr. Architect, this is what we're going to put in. This is what you drew. This is what we're going to put in. Does that work? Meh, no, mm-hmm. or Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're literally standing there. Not that it could be solved right then and there anyway, right? Like, I think that's the other part of it is when these changes are implemented and then there's this kind of trickle-down effect that happens that is nobody can foresee because there's so many interdependencies upon things in these complex mm-hmm. assemblies, right? So right, a right. minor thickness change changes something down the line, right? A different assembly, like, procedure changes means and methods like it, it doesn't just affect the architect it could also affect the contractor it could also affect the overall outcome and and that's the hard part that's why so much time does need to be spent up front kind of solving all of those issues and and the manufacturer's details are never going to cover all of the potential that their material could be used True. so True. Uh, a lot of times you are kind of ripping this detail apart and combining it with another one and coming up with a a third custom one or a fourth or a fifth, um, depending on even just walking around the building, you could have different, different configurations. So man, it's so complicated, right? It's so complicated. And, and, and because we sell a service and we sell hours, um, the incentive is always to shortchange that because the less hours are better, right? That's the incentive is to take shortcuts. And that's where these problems come from. So man, what a, what a chicken and the egg. (laughs) <laughs> right right uh total total yeah. cluster dude brutal so uh we um took freddy in yeah freddy, to, freddy update so the freddy update is is that you know now it was a week later we took him to our vet you know was checking him out and everything else and you know he he seemed to be doing a lot better with the leg than we thought and so you know that's good good news she she wants to kind of continue to monitor him before she does her final ruling on whether or not he needs surgery or not and you know because of his size and everything else he does have a little bit of time to wait because i mean he's just a little small nine pound dog so but so um we get him from the rescue three months ago Mm -hmm. and they weren't quite sure of their age they were kind of guessing you know could be almost four well (laughs) they're like well first thing we want to tell you is freddie's not four like oh Okay. Freddie's closer to seven. Mm. Like, wait, what? And the reason that we know that is because he's got really bad dental problems. Mm. Like, okay, you know, well, what do we do about those? And like, well, that's the next problem. And then like, okay, what's the next problem? Well, 
we notice that Freddie has a heart murmur and we're worried about, you know, we have for the, for what we have to do for his dental problems, we have to basically knock him out. We have to give him a sedative and we're not quite sure how he would react to putting to a sedative with the heart murmur. And so we're suggesting that, you know, you take him to a doggy cardiologist. What just happened? What just happened? I brought him in for you guys to check out his leg, and now you're telling me that oh we've got God. like this broke ass dog. <laughs> <laughs> Which, of course, we're going to do whatever it takes, you know, for him because I mean, oh man, I mean, three months or not, you know, he's our family now. It's going to be what it's going to be. But wow, like I, I just so I'm sitting there. We're we're both we're you know my daughter and I are sitting out in the car waiting outside. Because that's what you do nowadays when you right. drop your dogs off at the vet. You sit outside and, and wait for them to call you up on the phone so that you can have a phone conversation with the doctor. And so she's um, telling me all of these things. And my daughter's like frantically like searching up what does heart murmur mean and all of these other things on her phone. And, she, you know, like her eyes are getting like big and everything else. And, you know, and of course... As we said before, it's like, what, I mean, what are we going to say? Nah, yeah, I think we're we're getting to a point where we just, you know, nah, we're good. Mm-hmm. You know, no. Let him okay. Live. You're like, okay, just tell me. So we're thinking that little boy had a really hard life before we, uh, before he made it to the uh, animal rescue. And so, however... I don't want to say it this way because it sounds so weird and, and morbid, but however long the little little boy's got on, on this earth, you know, we're going to make him f- completely forget about what happened to him in the past. But yeah. my God, he must have been like s- seriously neglected. Wow. Yeah, it's not it's just hard really to imagine. sucks. It does. Yeah. It's uh, probably more typical than anybody wants to admit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my gosh, my friend working with him for God eight years now and when he met his now wife she was into volunteering for the animal rescue and so now they just both got into it like big time and so it's almost as demanding as both of their jobs she's a teacher he's an architect you know and so yeah and they're you know and and so like some of the stories of some of these dogs that they that they get are just absolutely horrible and now, now they personally have five dogs. Whoa! But three of the the five of them are um, rescue dogs, mm. and it's in in the stories and in in like oh, I can't, yeah, yeah. oh my god, it's it's it is disgusting what people do to animals yeah. out there, and it's just um, it was gruesome, gruesome. Yeah, I bet. What a downer. Didn't mean to end it this way. Well, it seems like you guys can uh, can actually make it better for Freddie. That's good. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're making it you better have. for Freddie. Yeah. Freddie's, yeah. He was so skinny and, like, his, apparently his, his fur was so matted and, and, like, just, he was covered in filth. Mm-hmm. And so the people who had t- taken him in basically completely shaved him, not quite bald, but, like, down to mm-hmm. down to nothing. And so he looked like this little, so he had like a little fuzzy head and like a naked body. But made him look young. And yeah. And, uh, and, and he was, 
and he was so skinny and now he's like filled out and he's you know he's got his fur back and he just he looks good and healthy and um so yeah his his life is vast improvement way better yes wow so if you're out there and you're thinking about um rescuing a dog do it dear seriously do it do it